What? No, our products will just sell themselves. They're great. Script. <laughs> no, no, don't be daft. Let's just wing it if we're going to sell these things. You're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. It's me, Robin Waite, again. And today, I'm going to be talking about some of the best sales techniques that entrepreneurs can use within their businesses. Uh, most notably, if you are a service client business, a coach, a consultant, or a freelancer, then hopefully some of these tips you'll find um, helpful during this episode. Now, a while ago, I did a YouTube video, which was called the um, Mistakes Manifesto. And we'll uh, link through to that that video um, uh, in the show notes as well. Um, and I'm going to do a, a bit of a take on that, but um, hopefully from um, these tips which I'm going to be sharing with you, by the end of this, you'll be a, a hardcore salesperson, a competent closer, a confident salesperson, and you'll have no trouble at all uh, selling your products and services to um, potential clients. So as per the introduction, obviously, one of the worst things you can possibly do in sales is wing it. And I think there are so few business owners out there who have had any form of sales training. They essentially think that they are, um, well, they're not really salespeople. They're more like order takers. So somebody will come along and say, yes, I want to work with you or no, I don't want to work with you. And you just take their word for it. There's a couple of things which I want you to bear in mind as you're listening to this episode. I want you to see yourself more as a, a doctor or a surgeon than you are necessarily a business owner or a coach or a consultant or whatever it is, whatever your line of work is. I want you to see yourself as a doctor. Now, a doctor's job, a surgeon's job is basically to save lives. You are in the business of saving lives. And when you have unsuspecting prospects who come into your coaching practice or your consulting rooms, um, you know, or your through your freelance business, they ultimately need you more than you need them. And the reason for that is they've got some kind of a bleeding neck or a, a big pain or problem or a challenge, which they need your help to fix. So as a, as a sale, you're all salespeople as well. Like, don't forget that. But if you're a doctor or a surgeon, you saw somebody come into your surgery with a bleeding neck, you would do everything within your powers to ensure that you got them onto the operating theater, anesthetized them and helped them, uh, over, you know, stitch them back up and made them better. And that's exactly the same process that we go through when we're working with our clients in any kind of a service client business. Sometimes people need just a little bit of extra help to get over the line. It's a daunting prospect going under um, under the knife and being anesthetized and things like that. In the same way that when one of your prospects is looking to do some work with you potentially, it's, it's quite daunting. It, this could be quite expensive to them. Um, it, they're not sure whether this is going to work for them or they're going to get great, you know, what results they're going to get from this. They are going to be overcoming potentially trust issues and all sorts of things like that. So this isn't by any means an easy decision for them. Your job really is to build up trust with your prospects and ensure that you're offering them, you know, 
a cast iron solution that is going to solve their problems. And ultimately, if it's not a good fit, you have to be detached from the outcome. And you may even have to walk away from a potential sale if it's not appropriate. Like I always, the one thing I always say to our clients at Fearless Business is like, if you're selling somebody a product or service, just so that you can pay your mortgage and put food on your table, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because I would rather be poor, homeless and destitute than take somebody's money if they're not a good fit for our program. And you all need to believe that. You all need to, when you set foot into the sales environment with a a new prospect, you need to be sure that when they sign on the dotted line, that it is 100% the best thing that they possibly could be doing for them. Not for you, not because you're going to make money from this, albeit that is a, a, a byproduct of a job well done but because it is ultimately going to give them the best possible solution and outcome. So with that in mind, imagine if you're going under the knife and then all of a sudden your doctor says, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just going to wing it. And I don't have any, I'm not, I'm not prepared for this. And I, I don't think we've got any triage after we've got no way of like, following up afterwards to make sure you're all right and things like that. You'd be slightly worried. So I, again, I just reiterate, I need you to put yourself into the shoes of being a doctor or a surgeon and the people you're speaking to are your patients and you need to make sure that you have everything in order when you um, jump onto a, a Zoom call or a telephone call or go and meet them in person face to face, okay? One of the first things, one of my f- first best tips that I've got for you as well is you shouldn't be selling proposals. Ultimately, what you want to do on the sales call with a, with a new prospect is you want to be able to get them to either a hard close or a soft close by the end of your that that initial conversation and I'll explain what I mean by that so if they're like if it's a 10 out of 10 we know we're going to do good work together they've got the money it's a really good fit then you can do a hard close and actually get them over the line there and then by either taking a a deposit or an enrollment fee or even payment in full you could potentially do all of that or it could be that you've got to go to contract Uh, So sign the contracts and um, invoice the fees and away we go. So that's what I call a hard close. Whereas sometimes you actually need to finish things off with more of a soft close. So it might be that they need some time to think about it, to mull it over, to ask a partner, that maybe they just don't, you know, they need to see a little bit more information from you before they make their buying decision. And that's okay, by the way. We're not we're not trying to force people to hand over their cash. We want to make sure that they are 100% confident in their own decision-making as well. So a soft close means that we have to get some kind of micro-commitment at the end of the call. Whether it be a commitment to a follow-up call, you need to make sure that they know exactly what the next steps are going to be. So um, if they need time to think about it, great. Um, absolutely. Well, it's Monday today. How about we have a catch-up call on Thursday or Friday, which, you know, when when can you do either 10 a.m. on Thursday or 2 p.m. on Friday, which one suits you? And get some kind of a commitment to that. If they're backing out of even some kind of a soft commitment, i.e. they don't want more information, they don't want to book a follow-up call, that's a red flag. And you need to be you need to listen out for those. By red flag, I mean that, you know, throughout the conversation, there's going to be various things which you'll be listening out for, looking out for in terms of their body language, their pacing, their tonality, their commitment to various things, whether they're evasive when you ask them specific questions. Those are all little red flags. And if if there are a certain number of red flags, it ultimately means that it's just not a good fit and that's okay. But you need to be sort of making a tally of those red flags. I have a policy of if I see three or more red flags, it's unlikely we're going to work together. 
and and that's fine. There's no there's no jeopardy in this. I don't think it's a it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know whether you close a client or not, it's just a part of the process. But there are ways of measuring the success of your sales conversations. One of the other things that I see a lot of, or one of the biggest mistakes I see people making when they're selling services, especially, is that they allow the prospect to self-select the product which they feel is the best fit for them. So what I mean by this is if you've got three different products, maybe you've got a four-week program, an eight-week program, and a 12-week program, and your recommendation is that maybe actually, or or on assessment, you look at them and you think, ah, you really need my eight-week program. And they go, ah, but I can only afford your four-week program. I think I'll take that. And then you let them. Again, with a, like, if you're a surgeon and you had somebody with a bleeding neck and they went, oh, can't I just stick a, put a sticky plaster on it? You would question that as an expert. You'd say, well, no, because the likelihood is that it might slow the blood flow down, but it's not going to fix the bleeding neck. Uh, so really, we need to st- get you onto the, ta- the operating theatre table and stitch you up. Okay, so um, what this sounds like during the sales conversation is something a little bit like this. Uh, so James, um, based on what you put in your assessment form and also what we've just discussed during your consultation, the product that I would recommend for you is package B. And these are the reasons why. And then you can explain it to them. You can say that in order to get X outcome, like this, this ROI, this return on investment, uh, in order for you to achieve your goals. So you make, you put the focus back on them and what their goals and objectives are. And then your the product has to fit those objectives. If ultimately like package A isn't going to get them, you know, to those objectives. So you have an objection and they say, oh yeah, but we can't really afford package B. We, can't we just do package A? And say, well, actually you could do package A, but it's not going to get you the desired outcome or result. That's why I'm recommending package B. And I think that's the best route for you. One of the, the other things... Um, I see a lot of business owners do or not do in many many cases is practice the sales pitch. So what I mean by that is you, you're going into sales conversations having not run through in your mind what a good outcome from that sales conversation is going to be, what, 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 what the potential options are. You haven't run through in your mind what objections you might get or concerns you might hear from this client. You haven't done any prep and researched your client. You haven't um, you haven't read through their assessment form if you've got an assessment form and you're kind of just going into these sales conversations absolutely blind and just hoping that it's a good fit. So there's two things which I would recommend that you do here uh, in respect of um, practicing sales pitches. So the first one is do a sales role play. Uh, if you have a business coach, a mentor or a friend, business colleague, jump onto Zoom And both of you practice like for 15 or 20 minutes each, pitching and closing the other person, because it's much easier to have that awkward conversation with somebody that you know, and and to be able to get some direct feedback from them, than it is to go into pitching and trying to close unsuspecting, like potential clients who haven't got a clue about what's going on. So... If you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about putting your prices up and you've heard some of the tips around sales and things like that, much better to go and practice it with somebody familiar before you then go out into the big bad world and start practicing on unsuspecting clients. The other thing which I'd also recommend you can do, so if you don't want to do sales role play, and I thoroughly recommend you do sales role play, but if you don't want to do that, the second best thing that you can do is you can get into the habit of recording your sales conversations. 
So in Zoom, for example, there is a an option in there. If, I think if you have to pay for the pro version of it and have some um, storage space, but there's an option in there for all of your meetings, set it to auto record. Now, over the last five years, I mean, I've been online now for a long time, but over the last five years, I've done something close to 700 um, sales consultations with prospective clients. And I've had it set to auto record on Zoom. And about two people out of those 700 have ever asked about, oh, this is being recorded. One, they did have some very sensitive information. So we just shut the recording down. That was fine. The other person said, oh, you're recording. And I went, yeah, well, this is twofold. It's for your benefit. So you don't have to feel you've got to take notes. I can send you the recording afterwards. And it's also for our training purposes, because I do listen to these back for my note-taking benefits, but also to, to, to review the sales calls. And they, and they just went, yeah, that's fine. Now, the benefit of listening back to your sales calls is that when you're focused on the client in the moment, there are going to be a lot of things which you miss in terms of um, tonality, pacing, language, body language, um, did you pick up their objections and things like that? Because your your 100% focus is on like them. It's one degree in front of you. And there's 359 degrees of other stuff going on around you, which you'll be blissfully unaware of when you're in that sort of high pressure sales um, situation. So if you then go and watch your recordings back, you can go, ah, I noticed their body language changed when I said this, or damn it, why did I say that? So it gives you a good opportunity to review what was said, how it was said, and what the feedback was, which otherwise you may not get. Um, you might not get that, like pick that up during the actual sales call itself. One of the things we actually do at Fearless Business, say for our accelerator clients, they will, all of our clients record their sales calls and periodically they'll actually submit one of those recordings to me, obviously under an NDA, uh, non-disclosure agreement. So everything that I review client-wise is confidential. And I will minute by minute critique one of their sales calls, uh, you know, literally down to picking up any slight whiff of body language, uh, bullshit, um, get it, picking them up on their pacing and talent, tonality. Did they leave um, gaps? I call them STFU moments, which I'll talk talk about a little bit later on um, as well. But we review it in like literally minute by minute detail. Um, so for a, for a 30 minute interview, it takes about 30 minutes for me to critique it. It's quite, it's, it's very, in fact, longer than that, an hour to critique it. It takes double amount of time for the length of the recording. But it's one of the most beneficial things we found for our clients because they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even see that. I didn't know that. It's these tiny little nuances that go into to conversations, not just sales conversations, but conversations in general that most people just list, um, miss. So that's super, super important. The next thing is when, when you're selling, you need to have 100% confidence in your ability and your product or services ability to deliver results to your client. If you're going into sales conversations and you're not 100% confident about your ability to deliver that product or service, your prospect is going to know. They're going to smell the fear. Um, and that subconsciously, that's going to repel them. They're going to move away from that and they're going to be less inclined or less likely to buy it. Now, it also depends on how in tune they are with body language and um, whether they're an empath and various things like that. But you need to go into, just ask yourself this one simple question. Could you offer a 100% money back guarantee on your product or service? Now, I, I asked this question and I know that it's very contentious because 99% of people, when I ask this question, they go, oh no, couldn't possibly do that. And they use the D word, which is a swear word in fearless. It depends. It depends on the client. It depends on the circumstances. It depends on the, the economic climate. It depends. It depends. It depends. Now, the reality is if you have a, a good quality product or service, which you're delivering, it should be 
teachable, learnable, and repeatable. It should have a system and a process to deliver it. And it should produce clean and consistent results each and every time you deliver it, bar one or two exceptions. So you should have no problem offering a 100% money back guarantee on your product or service. Now, if you go into a sales conversation and you are that confident in your ability to deliver and the client says, well, what guarantees do you have? And they say, well, actually, if this doesn't work out, we'll give you your money back. Then there's there's no jeopardy in it for your prospect. What kind of a message is that going to give out to, to them? They're going to be like, wow, this person really believes in themselves. They really believe in their ability to deliver great results. And of course, that's going to sway somebody more towards buying than it would push pushing them away. Sometimes though, again, there's always exceptions. Sometimes they it could be too they might think it's too good to be true. And that's okay. But they they'll normally say that. They'll say it sounds too good to be true. And at which point that's an objection. You just run them through it and you say, no, we're we're that good at what we do. These are the guarantees which we put on our product or service. Another thing which I thoroughly recommend that you have with your when you're going into a sales situation is that you have assets to back up whatever sales story you're telling. What I mean by this is that you have, it could be a PowerPoint presentation, for example. So when it gets to the point of the pitch, if you're not confident in your pitch or your offer, just have a PowerPoint slide deck ready so that you could just go through it slide by slide. Make sure it's not too long though, because PowerPoint's boring, let's be fair. And don't just talk it, like talk the the words on the slides, because again, it's just, they can read, like you don't need to read that stuff. But just have a few pages prepared just to jog your memory. And so when you get to the pitch situation, it's really clear and concise and flows really nicely. The other thing is as well, like make sure you've got a brochure because it's another touch point. So introducing more engagement, more touch points in your sales process is super important. Don't forget sales isn't just about the conversation. It's what happens before it. It's what happens after it. So if there are videos, so if somebody books a call with you, sales call with you, if you've got a couple of videos which explain your processes, give them a bit, a bit of an insight into what you do, maybe challenges them to do an activity before you get onto the sales call, send them those videos beforehand. That's a great asset to have. It gives it it builds up their trust with you. They'll be more familiar with you. It gives them something to do, um, and and uh, it, it eases them into the sales process. Same as at the other end of the sales process, they may say, "Oh, have you got some um, like a brochure or some? Can you send us an email with more information or things like that?" Have a really professionally designed, bro- you know, good-looking brochure ready to send over to somebody if they want more information. Now, I don't sell proposal. I recommend not selling proposals, not selling brochures and things like that. You want to get used to um, selling and closing on calls wherever you possibly can. But these assets are super helpful in terms of backing up whatever it is that you discuss on the sales call. So make sure that you have some form of a brochure um, available and videos available to deliver to your prospective client to keep on educating them and give them more information. It just builds trust. And also critical, absolutely critical that you have some form of a contract in place so that when a client says yes and you start to talk about next steps, you can say, great, well, the next step is I'm going to send you over our contract. If you can sign and date that and get it back to us within the next 24 hours, we'd hugely appreciate it. And by the way, if you've got any questions, we can we can do a follow-up call just where we can go through any questions you've got about the contract. It just it also shows your prospect that you have a process and it gives them confidence that you know what you're doing. It gives them confidence that they know then that you've sent lots of other you know, clients through exactly the same process. So it's robust. They don't feel like this is something alien to them. They feel that this is something which is familiar. 
So make sure you've got supporting assets, sales assets, brochures, PDF downloads, videos, and definitely a contract. Super, super, super important. And get them to fill that out as quickly as you can after the after they've agreed to the sale. My next tip is around leadership. Um, so many people that look, we're in service client businesses, and our job is to serve. But we don't just, we're not just here to do what our prospective clients or our clients tell us to do, okay? They're actually coming to us for leadership. They, they're coming to us because we can do something which they can't. So during the sales conversation, you need to assume this position of leadership throughout. So if the client starts telling you how they want you to work, if they, and what their terms are and what hours that you need to be available and do you, do you work weekends? And you're thinking, I don't work weekends. And they're so, starting to make all of these demands. Um, at that, if they're leading the conversation at that point, you've probably lost leadership in that sales process. There's some simple ways to regain leadership. Okay, so if somebody's kind of talking over you, giving you orders, telling you what they want, saying, oh, I don't want it done that way. Can you do it this way? You can simply just stop the process, stop the conversation. And um, what that sounds like is this. Um, sorry, James, can I just, can I just, hold on a second. Can I just um, take a pause, take a moment for a second? Uh, there's a few things here which are worrying me. Obviously, we have a step-by-step process. Okay, so there you go. I'm out, I'm out of the role play now, but that that's just one one way of stopping and slowing the conversation down, so you can start to regain a position of leadership in that conversation. Because you don't want to just be an order taker and be bossed around, because otherwise you end up with pain in the ass clients who, when they you know they fall between the gaps in terms of the products which you're selling, and they want custom this and bespoke that, and they call you all hours and various things like that. So you need to manage their expectations, assume that position of leadership throughout. Next up, never discount. Now, I've done a po- whole podcast episode on discounting, so it might be worthwhile going back and listening to that one. But if a prospect starts to haggle with you and ask you if you can do it cheaper, that's a red flag, okay? Um, some people mistake giving people discounts as a green light to say yes to the sale, that that's a way to close the sale. Absolutely not. If a client asks for a discount and you give it to them, you've just lost leadership. And more than likely, that that for me is not the start of a really good, solid relationship with a client. So on the, on sales conversations, don't discount. I, discounts are just like big no-no. Um, but I would recommend going back, go and listen to the other podcast episode I did around discounting because I go into a lot more detail um, on, on that episode. The, this is kind of an obvious one here, but um, the, uh, uh, this is around like making sure that you're booking a high volume of sales calls. So too many people... Um, They'll give off their give out their prices and things like that on Messenger and in email before they've even got people onto a call, and as a result of that, I mean I've seen businesses that have um, you know been giving away prices too soon in the process, and as a result of that, when we've stopped them from doing that, their conversion rates actually gone up by forty percent. So when they get clients, prospective clients, onto a phone call, they get much better results from a uh, conversion perspective. Now, there's the obvious side of it, which is just the numbers side of it. If you get more people onto a call, you're going to close more business, right? It's as simple as that, okay? But the other side of it as well is just pure practice. Like sales actually comes from experience and practicing the sales process. Now, what I made is I may have to um, do another, we have a six-step sales process, which we teach all of our clients. 
probably not going to have time to go through it on this podcast episode. Maybe I'll save it for another podcast episode. We'll actually go through the full six-step sales process that you can use, plus a bit of objection handling. Um, but the but the matter of the fact is, the more sales calls you book, the more opportunities you've got to close business, but the more opportunities you've also got just to practice stuff. You'll also have more and varied objections and concerns being thrown at you. When you have more, when you have to deal with more objections from prospective clients, you get better at managing and handling those objections and concerns. So you just need to get as many people onto sales calls as you possibly can. Practice, practice, practice. And don't be worried about those conversations like turning into no's because that's all part of the process, okay? So we want to book more sales calls. The next tip is really, 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 really obvious. But it's surprising how few people do this. Follow-up. Follow-up is absolutely essential in sales. A lot of service client business owners, coaches, consultants, and freelance, freelancers especially, um, are an interesting breed. Many, many of us, and I put myself into this category, are natural, naturally introverted. Okay. So we don't like to follow up because we feel that it's pushy. It's maybe aggressive that it's like, uh, it, it's, you know, stepping over boundaries that we're, you know, pushing people when they don't want to be pushed to buy our products and things like that. But actually, no, it's not. Like, if you think about it, we are all busy people. And quite often, it's like the moment you finished on a sales call for something, you open up your inbox, and there's a whole flood of other stuff and you get distracted. So, and then that carries on, like the next day, the next two days, next week, whatever, you just, it's distraction after distraction. So, People need nudges. They need to be followed up with in order to like, oh gosh, yeah, that conversation with Robin, I'd completely forgotten about that. I meant to get back to him um, to book a follow-up call or to, to ask for more information or to take the next steps or whatever it might be. Now, I believe that you should follow up um, until essentially somebody says, stop following up with me. So they give you an explicit instruction. But if you want some numbers, Maybe you want to aim to follow up somewhere in the region of four to seven times once you've completed a sales conversation with them. Now, a follow-up call could be that's one follow-up, okay? You might also want to drop them a quick email straight after the call to say, hey, thanks for, and very much for the initial con- consultation. Would you mind leaving me a Google review? So that's something which we do. You can automate it. It's a great way to build more social proof. And quite quite often... The prospects who say no are actually the ones who are most inclined to leave reviews and testimonials and things like that because they've actually got really great value from the the initial consultation with us. Um, But maybe they're just not a good fit for our program. And part of our process is weeding out the people who are a great fit for fearless business from the ones who aren't such a great fit. And actually what we do with the ones who aren't a great fit, we refer them to other coaches, either associates who we know, other coaching practices who we feel would be a better fit and could potentially get them better results and things like that. So we do it abundantly. And as a result of that, that means that we've got something like 120 plus Google reviews now, which we've built up over the last um, two or three years, um, of incredibly happy clients, whether they are actual clients who've gone on to say yes, but also those who've said no, where it's not a good fit. So that follow-up process is essential. What we also do is we do a couple of follow-up calls. We do the follow-up email. We send a one-page proposal over to the client. So they just literally, I I don't like big lengthy proposals because they're too confusing, but we give people a summary. We say, here's the summary. Here's the next steps. Look forward to speaking to you on the follow-up call. So at least they've got all of the basic, the core information about the program. 
Um, and the key thing is we then send out, and this is all automated, three or four follow-up emails over the following nine months. So we send them out uh, after two weeks, four weeks, three months, six months, and nine months. And after that, then that's it. Now, believe it or not, we have had clients, not many, but we have had clients who have come back and joined Fearless Business um, on the Accelerator program after nine months and even beyond after that. And only because quite often when you're buying a product or service from somebody, sometimes it's just not the right time. Life gets in the way. And so that follow-up process is essential. Like you might you know, he might have written the business off by that point, but it's surprising that sometimes people do come back several months or even years later to then come back and say, yes, they may not get it at the same price. So there is a a, a, um, a penalty for, for delaying saying yes, but hey, that's all a part of the process. The next thing is that there's no kind of like um, closing process. So what I mean by that is once you've had the opportunity to pitch somebody, you've gone through and handled some of their objections and concerns, that you kind of just go, uh, okay, right, that's it. Nice to meet you. Cheerio. And off they go. Even if they're saying yes, I've seen people like a client, a prospect has said yes, and our clients just let them leave the call. Um, so you've got to make sure that you have some kind of logical next step for your prospect to go um, to follow after they've said yes. So what that sounds like is, cool, James, I'm super excited to be working with you. Thanks so much for saying yes. Listen, let me just run through with you what the next steps are uh, or what you're going to see from us next um, in our process. So we'll get the contract sent out to you. We'll get the enrollment invoice um, emailed over as well uh, within the next hour. If you can make sure that both of those are sorted out within the next 24 hours, we'd hugely appreciate it. And obviously, any questions you've got, you can WhatsApp them to me or do whatever. Um, once we've got those signed, sealed and delivered, we can push the button on your enrollment process. So we're very clear on what the next steps are in our closing process. The client knows exactly what's, what's going to happen next, what they're going to be sent and what they need to look out for. And I'll also say to them, listen, one of the things I do is when I email this stuff over, I may send you a WhatsApp or an SMS a bit later on just to make sure you've got it. Is that okay? So again, there's a bit of permission-based um, closing here as well, just to make sure the client is 100% comfortable and happy and confident in terms of what they're going to do next with us. Now, here's my, my final tip. And this one is so, so important. I mean, I cannot emphasize how important this tip is. Um, it's something called STFU, which stands for, if you haven't guessed already, shut the f up, okay? So many people, when they are trying to sell a product or service, and normally it's it's because of very genuine reasons. They might be nervous or they just want to get it over and done with, or maybe they feel the conversation's a little bit awkward or something like that. They don't allow any periods of silence, Okay. So they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And every time the client is like sat there thinking and trying to process something, they keep on talking and talking and talking. And actually this ends up being quite overwhelming for somebody who is on the receiving end of a sales pitch, which is yap, 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 yap. Okay. So I thoroughly recommend like, and don't forget, and the reason for this is like when people are uh, on a consultation call with you, you're going to be educating them. You're going to be helping them. And your prospect is going to be having these insights, these moments where they're processing this new piece of information. So you just need to interject with these, these periods of silence just to allow them to process this new information, figure it out, and then come back to you with something, a question or whatever it might be. Especially when you start to get into the sales, um, the objection handling side of things, because quite often when somebody's about to make a big investment, it, it, you're creating quite a big shift in their mindset and their core beliefs here. 
they're about to take quite a big leap. So you need to give them eight to 10 seconds of silence. Now that was 10 seconds of silence there. And I don't know whether that felt awkward. You probably thought there was a problem with the iTunes app or something like that. But you need to give people these lengthy periods of silence to process this information. And it, like I said, this isn't to be um, confused with the silent close, because that sounds very nefarious and persuasive and like uh, all the negative stuff that we hear about sales. It's nothing to do with that. It's literally just to, to give somebody a period of time to be able to process the new piece of information which you've you've just given to them and so that they can make an educated and informed decision without feeling like they're under pressure because if you're just coming back to them with like you know essentially you know like talking all of the time and justifying your position, they're going to feel like you're really trying to push them and like being really persuasive and aggressive in the sales side of things. But actually, if you do completely the opposite of that and you just produce, give them a little bit of silence, they, they feel less pressure. Now, when they're feeling less pressure, they're going to make a better educated, more like well, more well-informed decision. And it increases, it doesn't guarantee it, but it increases the odds of that person saying yes. Because if, they, if they're if they going to say yes, they're saying yes for the right reasons, not because they're under pressure. So those STFU moments are absolutely vital within your sales process, okay? And I'll be talking a little bit, like I said, I'm going to I'm gonna do another podcast episode around the six-step sales process because um, this is super, super important. If you understand the six steps, it gives you a really tidy framework um, to, to um, you know, uh, for your sales conversations to happen around. Um, but STFU moments are like absolutely a vital part of that six-step sales process. Okay. So hugely, hugely important. Listen, um, the, there's, there's a number of tips and techniques in there, which I hope will um, help you to become a better salesperson within your business. Um, if ever you want to jump on and do a sales role play with me, just reach out because I'm always game for a good sales role play. And I'm sure we can come to, we could even record one, one or two for the podcast if you're game. Uh, they're really good fun. You'll feel slightly awkward. And I always say to people as well, like if, if in the sales process, it all feels too easy, if like you're doing it wrong. If, if you're not feeling slightly awkward during a sales sales conversation with somebody, you're actually doing it wrong because um, it, it, that, that awkwardness is actually a sign of growth for both you and the person that you're um, pitching your product or service to. Um, uh, so yeah, so sales role plays are vital. I'd love to do a few for the podcast app actually. So if you're game, hit me up, just drop me an email, robin at robinwaite.com um, and uh, we'll, we'll do a sales role play and drop it onto the podcast and you'll obviously get a nice shout out and a bit of promo as well for your, for your business. Uh, more than happy to do those they're great fun um, listen if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast as well please don't forget to drop us a review on iTunes it just helps other people to find the podcast I've been your host Robin Waits this has been the Fearless Business Podcast and I look forward to catching up with you for the next episode mm-hmm.